Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo, or at least one of them. It kind of depends and probably some rando too, but no complaining because this is free. Free. This is beauty and the beta bonus audio content. Hello and welcome to the show. We are back with another one of Blonde's latest interviews. This time she had on Legal Man. He's a longtime lawyer turned podcaster talking all the big issues, the Constitution, justice, where to go from here. If you like hearing these interviews, be sure to check out Blonde's channel if you're not already subscribed, as well as Legal Man show The Quash, both linked in the description. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hey, folks, I am blonde in the belly of the beast. Um, I have had a power outage at my house for about three days. You may have noticed that my call-in show was canceled on Wednesday. The Sunday show, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm at a friend's house in 4K. This is what I actually look like. I hope that you people aren't disappointed because normally it's my Vaseline camera. Uh, It does me a real service using that webcam. Um, Anyway, so I have Legal Man on today. I just started listening to your podcast, The Quash, about, I don't know, three or four months ago. And I have gone through your whole backlog. I am subscribed to one person's channel on Patreon, and it is you. (laughs) Uh, You have the best content. You're talking about the most important stuff. And so I know I'm going to get banned on YouTube. And I was thinking, what do I want to do before I get banned? And I was like, we have to get people's eyes on the quash. So if you could just start telling people um, that aren't familiar with your content a little bit about uh, what you do, about your podcast, and uh, we can go from there. Sure. Well, thanks. And I I really appreciate you having me on and reaching out to me. Uh, It is important people understand. I've been a lawyer for 30 years in practice, and I've spent a huge amount of time sorting out all these kind of crazy issues. And Mm -hmm. what I've kind of discovered is that the standard kind of left-right, conservative, constitutional thing is just totally fundamentally flawed. And I fell for it for a very long time. And so I'm super, super familiar with all of the arguments. I, I, I just understand that this idea that the Constitution is somehow both at the same time being supposedly misused by liberals, but that we need to stay under it is the fundamental problem that we have and that nobody speaks up about the fact that that is not a situation that can make any legal sense. And I've gone for many, many years and I've been beaten up in courts over and over. I've seen the reality what the courts are. So the courts are a complete fraud uh, and and they hold themselves out to be this supposed defender of justice, but they're not. And when you are able to finally step back and see the kind of stuff that I've put together, it is that it's not so much that the the conservatives are wrong vis-a-vis their arguments with liberals. They are right. Of course they're right. Yeah, the liberals are idiots. They make no damn sense. But the problem is that the conservative arguments themselves are fundamentally flawed and not because they couldn't theoretically be true. It's because in practice, they're not true. That's all. They're just not true. And a great example of something, the kind of content I give 
I try to, the problem is I've been a lawyer for so damn long. It's impossible for me to do anything except for think about things in terms of a lawyer, just like someone who's been an engineer their whole life. They see yeah. everything as an engineering. Doctors see everything as pathology. It, it, this is what happens over a long time. And a good example to me is this, this current deal about how violence is never the answer, supposedly. Okay. But then these constitutional conservatives, they back the Second Amendment. Well, what is the point of having the Second Amendment if violence is never the answer? And so that makes that one right there makes no sense because they talk about how the Second Amendment is all the tyranny and the blood of tyrants and re refreshing the liberty tree and all this crap. And then then they turn around and say, well, of course, violence is never the answer. <laughs> OK, well, that specifically is what the Second Amendment is about. And so they 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 ignore the violence that government is against the right. people and they just just talk about how the liberal situation is wrong. Well, the liberals are wrong, too, but they're also wrong. And so most people are really honestly, they aren't ready to hear the truth that I tell them because it's just so depressing and, and brutal because they want an easy answer of this kind of voting. And that's, and then they also love positivity. Everybody wants a positive message. Oh, you got to stay positive. Oh, you're so negative. And it's like, well, I don't make the facts. I'm sorry. Yeah. Is there a positive way to talk about having a terminal cancer case? No. Do you complain to the doctor that he doesn't, he's not positive about your prognosis that you're going to die in three months? No, you, you got to tell people the truth before we can start dealing with actual answers. Right. So that's what I do. <laughs> well, this is, I'm glad you brought that up because my first question to you, um, I share this resentment for constitutional conservatives, which was a group that I used to be a part of. And, and uh, I understand why people have this adherence to constitutional values. It's a, it's a beautiful thing and yeah, I get it. But how can we convince people that constitutional values and ideals are not going to protect us? I mean, I feel like we're so late in, in this game that uh, at what point do we just give up on the normie? Right. Yeah. I, I, again, this is a, you and I are on the same wavelength. It's, it's a, it's a problem. It's a balancing act to me in that I don't know how many people are reachable. You know, the reality is most of the work that has to get done in order to be able to hear a message like I have has to be done by that person. And it really has to be done by that person prior to the time they kind of hear my message. And if they haven't done it, then what happens is they hear my message and they just knee-jerk reaction to it. And, oh, I'm an idiot. What a constitution. They just go back to these slogans, this regurgitating these slogans. They don't understand that, hey, it's not that I don't want freedom. I, I wish the Constitution worked like I was told. I believed it for years. It sounds great. The platitudes, all the slogans they had, they sound fantastic. The problem is anybody can look around and see that no part of it's true. If it was, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in. That's the bottom line. So how many people can be reached? I don't know. Um, we don't need that many. Um, we need Really, what we need is more people in the right places. If we had some some kind of if there are any honest people, and I do believe there are genuinely honest people who are fantastically misguided in positions of authority in both sort of conservative media and at lower levels of government. I, yeah. I think once you get the higher levels of government, that that's just one corrupt piece of crap. But there are other people. And at the localist level, there's a lot of well-meaning people. They want freedom. They want liberty. They want to do that stuff. They're just being totally confused. And 
if we could get some of those, it would help immensely. Because the reality is, until we have sort of at least some more people on our side, there's really, there's solutions are just not feasible. And if we have people on our side, then there's tons of solutions. Solutions are easy because there's not really resistance. People want them. What we face now is that there's so much resistance to the fact that the problem itself is so fundamental and it's not solvable by simply turning on the radio, cheering on your guy, screaming about liberals, and then, and then getting ready to vote in 2022. Exactly. It yeah. doesn't work. It yeah, doesn't no. work. That's all. So I think there's a tremendous value for individuals. I did a whole show on the fact that just knowing the truth is protection. There's a lot of protection in just understanding the system. You, won, you won't waste a lot of time uh, going down rabbit holes that are dead ends. And two, you won't get blindsided. So many people are about to get blindsided with this Biden deal because they just can't believe that the system that they love and believe in the justice and all this other crap, it just doesn't work. And so they're, they're about, their heads are about to explode because they can't believe that it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work. And I give people an analogy of, look, if you live in a neighborhood and it's run by the mob and the, and the cops are on the take in your neighborhood, okay, is it, are you better off knowing that and, and then being able to maneuver within that? Or are you better off going and, and not knowing that and living in a fantasy land? No, you're much better off to know it. Does it mean that you can get rid of the mob? No. Does it mean you can clean up the police force? No, but it, it allows you to live your life knowing that if there's a problem, you don't call the cops. <laughs> That's just going to cause problems for you. And so there's a lot of value in just understanding the reality of the situation as an individual, even if we can't move to the next step, even if we can't, there's still a tremendous amount of value there. I want to talk about the legal avenues um, that we have to move forward uh, in the event that we're able to reach critical mass. I did a little bit of preliminary research about uh, balkanization and if we'll be protected. <laughs> and, and I just found that basically we have no legal avenues. Is this a correct <laughs> assessment? I mean, I, I mean, I know you, that you say that we have to work outside of the system because the system has failed us. But if we're able to get enough people together and coordinated, then then what do we do? <laughs> well, I would say, and it's it's a good question, and I've definitely had a lot of conversations with people about uh, this issue because people want answers. People need to be led. As, as unfortunate as that is, the vast majority of people do need to be led. And one of the, the, the most important thing we have to be able to do is if we can't even get to the point where you can get a single red state to secede, well, then there's really no hope. And people need to understand that the basis for keeping it all together, this insanity that we need, this gigantic single government to oversee everything, that's the fundamental problem that people can't sort of mentally get past. They, <laughs> yeah. Every single person is like, okay, we get rid of, well, what are we going to put in this place? What's your system? It's like, dude, we don't want something put in its place. That's the issue that's so hard for people to get their mind around because so much brainwashing from day one is all about this this giant government being the way. And, it, and it's, it's as even as pervasive and insidious as in the way they teach history. When is the golden age? 
When is the golden age in any supposed ancient culture? When some tyrant gets a hold of it and he starts going around and collecting more land and more people into his system, that's the supposed golden age when when all these people around him who didn't want to be taken over were taken over. And so it's built into people from day one to think about the idea that this government we have is a source of freedom. And so they feel like they need it. And getting just even to the point where we could get one state to secede, now like in Texas, there's a, there's a secession movement. It's very small. It, I don't know if it's controlled opposition or not. Most of the people in it probably believe that it's legitimate, even if it's not legitimate. And it doesn't ultimately even matter if it's legitimate or not legitimate. Even an illegitimate controlled opposition can be taken over and run. I mean, if people are not stupid, if they can figure out that, hey, this could be controlled opposition, but we're going to take advantage of, of the momentum they've gotten, and we're going to do it ourselves because we have to get to the point where we start getting secession movements. Because if you can't start somewhere, mm-hmm. then it doesn't work because a county can't secede from the state. That's never going to work. There's no possibility. The way our system is currently set up, the only thing that can really be a next step is a secession movement. You have to be able to get that. Now, of course, the legal problem with that is you've got cases out there like Texas v. White after the Civil War that specifically says, now it's not technically a holding because it really wasn't, a holding in a legal sense is something that's essential to the issue that's being resolved. It doesn't mean that it wasn't a clear conclusion the court reached. The the court reaches a clear conclusion, but it still could be dicta. So Mm -hmm. that it's not really something you'd be able to use as precedent. Now, of course, you're not going to be able to use it anyway. But in that case, the Supreme Court's language was very clear. And that is that you can't leave as a state unless the other states allow you to agree to let you leave. (laughs) Well, that that just turns the idea of (laughs) the people being in charge of what they want to do as a state on its head in that that's left to the people in the other states. And so that is a legal barrier of sorts that would be raised to the extent you can even get a secession movement going. But you have to start dissolving this gigantic thing everywhere. And there's so many barriers to it because even when I just present something like that, to people, one, they can't get their mind around it, but two, they instantaneously go to this other sort of fantasy about, well, China would come in and Russia would come in. How the hell is China or Russia going to come to Texas and run Texas? It doesn't make (laughs) any sense. It's it's idiotic as an objection. So step one is we have to sort of get people's mindset to, to come over to our side that decentralization is the key and we have to start decentralizing. Just start. (laughs) Just baby steps, as Bill Murray said. Yeah, that's true. I mean, let's skip to step five. In the event that we're able to do all of that, how are we going to protect our rights if we're still under the tyranny of the federal government? Right. That's the problem. As long as you're (laughs) under the federal government, that's the problem is that now if once you're, you're in this federal government system, like how can you protect your rights? Well, the reality is you you can't protect your rights in the federal government because, one, it's way too big. And, and I've given people the example over and over again about the fact that the system, regardless whether it was the it was a scam from the get-go, which I tend to believe, or you want to believe in the holy trinity of the founders and everything else, they were the most pristine men that ever lived. It doesn't matter because it doesn't scale. 
and all sorts of things that work great don't scale. And it is very clear that representative democracy uh, in a democratic republic and all this other crap, it doesn't scale. And I, I show people that in order to have the kind of representative sort of allocation that they had, in order to scale it up to as many people we've had, and now this absurd concept of uh, universal suffrage, you'd need probably minimum on the math is about 50 to 70,000 people up there in Washington, D.C., not 435. But when you expand out the total amount of stuff that the federal government is doing, um, we, every time the federal government's authority expands, you need more representation in order to account for that. That's that's what would make sense. And so really 100, 150,000 representatives is what would be required up there. Well, everybody knows that's totally unworkable. It's completely impossible. It can never happen. And and so you have to be able to get away from them because when people say, well, how do you protect your rights? Well, <laughs> right. How do you protect them when the same entity tells you whether or not what it's doing is OK? It's an impossibility. That is a nonsensical statement to say that an entity, which is the sole arbiter of the extent of its authority, is somehow limited. No, it's limited to the extent it says it's limited. That's it. That's all it is. That's not the same as limited. It's just not. So what do you advocate uh, people do? I mean, a lot of, I live in North Idaho. A lot of people are really into community building. I think that's great. The homesteading movement, I think that's also fantastic. Uh, people moving towards self-sufficiency in a, in a meaningful way. Um, I think that's the thing that I'm, I'm most worried about. Uh, you know, Ruby Ridge is 40 miles <laughs> north of me. How do we stop these movements from getting infiltrated by the government. I mean, that's inevitable. It's definitely going to happen. How do I, I, we identify infiltration? Well, you know, the sheriffs in the county actually have a lot of uh, authority. They, they have, they are the sort of supreme premier law enforcement officer in the county. And mm -hmm. yeah, the feds come in, oh, they throw their jurisdiction around and all this other crap, but they know that the sheriffs are actually in charge of those counties. And people need to make sure that they support those sheriffs and they get the right kind of sheriffs in there. And they need to massively expand the number of deputies and the ability to deputize people in those counties so they can actually defend themselves when the feds come in. Because the feds aren't going to want the optics of a showdown with sheriffs in a local county when mm -hmm. those people are on the right side. See, when they're standing on the right side of an issue, don't pick this is the kind of thing the federal government will do. They'll they'll get some corrupt sheriff somewhere and they'll get him to support some extremely sketchy cause. And then they'll have a showdown with that guy. OK, to completely and totally discredit the other sheriffs and show why we need more federal uh, law enforcement control. We need to take control of these crazy rogue counties because look at the crazy stuff that they support. And so people need to be on the lookout for that kind of thing. But they need to make sure that. They they first need to understand how much power there is in that sheriff. And in fact, a couple of years ago, it's probably been 10 years now, but it was one of Biden's sons was put in charge of this effort to completely and totally gut the sheriffs all over the United States. 
gut their authority because they know those sheriffs really are problematic with regards to the plan to take over law enforcement. So I suspect during the Biden administration, you're going to get some kind of bogus crap that they pull up to try to start discrediting sheriffs in local areas along the same lines that I've just kind of described with these kind of kooky, oh, the Klansmen, you know, kind of just whatever, just throw some nonsense out there to discredit, discredit, discredit. Because in the big counties, you know, these big liberal counties, they already have liberal sheriffs. So they're not there to help the people any. There are controlled. The only chance you have is in places like you are where yeah, it's the bulk of the country. You look at those red blue maps that they come out. Damn country's red. It's it's red. And most of those people, they don't want the federal government in there. And they if they would take control and, and, and apprise themselves of how powerful the sheriff is and make sure he is empowered and back him up. It's a huge, huge impediment that the federal government faces. That's definitely true. Um, when coronavirus started, we had this sweeping legislation. People perceive it as law from the Panhandle Health District, which included two chicks that live in Washington. I'm like, you don't even sure live in Idaho. Right. Yeah, it's, it's like, what are, what, are you, what are you even doing? Um, and uh, the Bonner County Sheriff was like, yeah, we're, we're just not going to do any of this shit. We're just <laughs> like, we're, we're not going to enforce any of this. And I was in Sandpoint the other day and nobody was wearing masks. And I was seeing signs on doors that said like, um, you know, none of our employees can wear masks because they all have health and health conditions that prevent them from being masked all day. So come <laughs> into the store. You. I know, come into the <laughs> store at your own risk. But I think that that's the only recourse that that we have in on an individual level, on a community level to just be like, oh, we're, we're not even going to do this. Um, but I think that there's a lot of confusion about the legality of mask mandates and emergency orders. And I'm seeing a lot of people, even in supposed freedom, freedom loving Idaho, that are like, you have to wear a mask. It's the law. I'm like, it's not the law. Like, what do you, what do you people think law is? Who do you think creates law? Um, and so if you could talk a little bit about that, can they force us to wear masks um, in the streets, in, in public areas, outside of stores, especially? Well, you know, this is an area, again, where they make sure that the people are intentionally confused. They mm -hmm. use something called nonlinear disinformation, which means that they release information on every side of the issue. And they have so-called authorities that they put into the news on every side of the issue. So you do some looking and it's like, well, it says it's the law. This guy says it's the law. This guy says it's not. This guy says you can. This guy says you can't. Every single possible way to keep people confused. And the bottom line on all of these types of things is, is it really an issue of whether they it's the law or not? No, it doesn't really matter if it's the law. The only thing that matters or not is whether or not somebody with a gun from government is going to come and stick it in your face and put you in chains and take you in a cage and then force you to go in front of a government uh, joker in order to explain it. That's it. It doesn't make any difference whether it is the law or isn't the law. It only matters what can be enforced. And so the that's why these local enforcements are so key because... Let's just say like where I live is a major metro area. And the, the problem with this is that most of these police officers, tons of them, one, they don't even know what the law is. They have no idea. You want to get in a confrontation trying to explain constitutional reality to the guy. It's not going to work. He's not going to engage you. OK, so for me as a lawyer, I always look at 
a practical reality. The theory is, is really ultimately irrelevant. If the last election doesn't show you that legal theory and constitutional law and all this other crap is just out the window as soon as they want it to be out the window, then I don't know what clear example I can give people. It's not about what is the law. This is the big mistake that so many constitutional conservatives and media analysis make. They give this what is a analysis of a theoretical narrative then and what the outcome should be if you use the theoretical narrative but the simple reality is case after case could simply come out and just say well we have clear precedent and guess what the court didn't hold in your favor now what exactly. <laughs> now what now yeah, yeah. you lose that's all there is to it now you have been arrested you got some huge stack of fines you have what you call the law on your side but they ignore the law and they don't find it now do you have the law on your side or not no, you don't, because in your case, they just ignore it and they can do that whenever they want. And that's why the importance is understanding the structure we are in and how screwed we are unless people <laughs> stop accepting these absurd amounts of authority that just gush down from the top. They have to start understanding that just because someone writes something down. Uh, it doesn't mean that we all have to fall in line and follow it because it's irrelevant what they write down if they can't enforce it. <laughs> that's exactly. the bottom line. That's why your sheriffs are so great. It's like, well, you know, whatever. They think that's a good idea. We don't. That doesn't that doesn't work around here. We don't go for that. The people don't want to do that. And uh, I work for the people and we're all fine. So just go away and go enforce it somewhere else where they like it. Not here. That's exactly. The exactly. Yeah. Um, I had Dave Collin on the other day and I, I have this tendency to, to try to reason with people. I'm like, listen, <laughs> all cause mortality is down under 50. There's a 99.97% survival rate. And, and then I suggested them like, does this virus even exist? And Dave was like, listen, Rebecca, like you are using the emotion key or you're using the, the reason key on the emotion door. Like mm -hmm. you got your keys mismatched. Do you have anything to say about that? How we can employ emotional reasoning to try to to sway people. I don't know. It sounds sometimes like, like you don't really want to persuade the normie. And I'm sympathetic to that because sometimes yeah. I'm talking to people. I was talking to this chick yesterday. Uh, I was like, she was working somewhere and, and she was totally convinced that Trump, she's like, just wait until January 20th. I'm positive Trump's going to be able to pull this one out. And I was thinking like, is this bitch serious? Are you serious? You seriously think that this is going to happen, that we're going to, we're going to pull this off and Trump is going to save us. And just the level of delusion, it just made me think like, why should I even bother with anybody? Um, but do you think that we should be employing emotional arguments? Do you think that that's an effective strategy? Uh, clearly, facts have almost no impact on the vast majority of people. And they haven't for forever. I mean, because just like the inter interaction you had the other day with that person, it's the same kind of thing. I, I've done it for years. I gave up years and years and years ago trying to convince people who don't want to be convinced. If if they aren't genuinely open, then it doesn't matter what you say. And I give people the example all the time. Can you even convince somebody in your family? I, how about a close friend? I, I have an impossible time. I have people, friends, well, not my longtime friends, but I have close acquaintance type of people and people in my family. I can't convince them of anything because facts don't matter. And and because facts are this nonlinear disinformation, where, what, what is even a fact? Well, there's no way to know. We've been 10 months. Nobody's been sworn in. 
Nobody's been sworn in required to produce a, a, an actual opinion. Give me something that's a Daubert report. Let me look at it. Let's call you up, swear you in, and, and ask you some very specific questions. And unless you have that, what you have is debate. Well, debate is nonsense. Debate isn't a way to get to truth. Debate is just a way to persuade people with arguments. It's not facts. And most people aren't open to hard facts that are run counter to what they already believe. They, they just aren't open to it. And if I could come up with some great emotional arguments, I would use them on people. The reason I don't go out and try to use them on most people is because one, I can't stand interacting with the general public because <laughs> they're, they're dangerous. They're, they're dangerous. I don't know if they're going to, if I'm going to piss them off. I don't know what they're going to do. And I know is an almost an in absolute certainty, the likelihood of that interaction being something that is positive and actually accomplishes something I care about is so super low. It's just so, so super low. And the only thing I've ever found that kind of works besides, you know, an emotional reaction, but we don't have that on our side in this one. You're like, we can't really do that because they've co-opted all of those things with this crazy, my mask protects you and your mask protects me, selectively permeable material, nonsensical argument they've produced. It, it's got people imagining that they're virtue signaling by wearing a mask and protecting you. And, uh, and, and so I don't think we can do it with, with regards to the freedom or anything else because the constitutional conservatives have it too. But I, I do think that if you, I've, I've found at least, if you ask people questions, you just ask them a question, you present a little bit of information, you ask them a question like, well, is this freedom? You know, is this really actually, are you actually free if somebody you've never met that you didn't vote for, that you don't approve of, can simply write something down and you have to obey it? Is that actually freedom or is that just something you've been told is what we call freedom it's not actual freedom it's just it's just a name they've co-opted the name of freedom and liberty all these things that aren't actually freedom and liberty and i've found some people depending on the topics asking the question as, as opposed to actually you know telling them an answer let them find the answer let them say like huh yeah you know what that what is that what is going on there that is the only thing I've ever found that can kind of chip through that granite wall of defense that people don't want to admit they're wrong. Oh, yeah. They don't want uh, to admit that crap that they're wrong, that they've been saying all this stupid shit their whole lives and it doesn't make any damn sense. And they don't want to admit that. You got to let them win by letting them work it out themselves. Yeah. And then um, relating to people's personal experience really helps. I was talking to this very overweight woman yesterday and she was in her 70s and she was telling me like, I haven't seen my grandchildren in a year because I'm high risk and my husband's diabetic and they're very careful about the virus, even though they've all had it. And I was like, well, you know, you're, you're in your 70s and you guys have underlying health conditions. Um, how long are you willing to do this? Are you willing to spend the last five years of your life never seeing your grandchildren so you can live for another few years? And she looked mm -hmm. at me like she had never even thought about that. Like, like, like her quality of life didn't matter. And I could tell that she was shocked that I had said that. Like nobody had ever brought it up to her before. Mm -hmm. But I asked her, you know, how long are, are you willing to do this? And she like looked at me and she's like, you know, um, not much longer. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do this for this much longer. At some point, there will be a breaking point where people that have underlying conditions are like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to have to assume some level of risk to have an appropriate quality of life. And like, what crappy kids that have already had the virus and they're like, you can't see Nan because, you know, 
because, uh, you know, I don't want to get sick again and, and we, we all need to be safe. It's like if you're in your late 70s and you've got all this all these health problems and everything, what is the point of life if you can't see your children, if you can't see your grandchildren, if you can't go to bridge or whatever you do? You know, why why would you even want to eke more life <laughs> out of this miserable existence? What's the point? And I, I really am really troubled that people, older people especially, are willing to take the decreased quality of life. Um, yeah. And and stop seeing their family. It's it's kind of shocking to me, and I feel like there must be a breaking point at some point. Do you think that that's true? I hope there's a breaking point. I mean, I really do. I, I I've had the same kind of conversation countless times over the last ten months with my friends. It's like, how can people be okay with this? I don't understand. What what are we saving? I don't understand. What are we saving? You've got to be saving something. Is this what we're saving? A Zoom society where you have to stay in your house at all times and get Grubhub garbage delivered? That's it? You just sit there and play video games? You never have any contact? What is, the, what is it we're saving? And I don't know if people, so many people, quite honestly, they still genuinely think that there's going to be some kind of magic thing and we're just going to go back to normal. And the it's vaccine. Just gonna, they think that the vaccine is going they, to return they, everything they, to normal. There you go. The vaccine they have, they've been holding out hope over on all these different things. And they, they really think that then we're just going to go back to normal. And then it's just going to be like, oh, this is a temporary thing. And then what they don't see what you or I see in that. No, this is a societal movement. They're changing. This is all over the world. This is this is a flu that they've locked everybody down and destroyed all sorts of things to usher in a new type of thing. And why are people OK with it? You know, a lot of people are just, they don't even like their life that much. They don't even care that much. It's not even that big a difference in their life. All they ever did was sit there and play video games and watch TV anyway. A ton of people are happy to wear a mask because they're so self-conscious about the way they are and the standards they expect that media tells them to do. They actually like wearing a mask. There's a large number of people who like wearing a mask because it feels comfortable and protective to them out in society. And as incredible as that is for me to get my mind around, I know it's true. I've asked lots of different people about it. And so, again, we have the problem of when you have 330 million people trying to get agreement on anything is going to be totally impossible. It's impossible to get agreement at the dinner table. If you just have a family reunion come over, you think you're going to have agreement at your family reunion? No, you're not going to be able to get agreement about even what movie to watch, what game to play, whether to take a walk or play football. You can't get agreement about anything. And so the idea that the system is set up such that we have to reach agreement Okay, that there's only going to be a one size fits none answer that doesn't work. It's that's why you have to decentralize, because, look, if they want to have all sorts of parts of the country where you if you go into downtown L.A., you go into Maskville. Everybody wears masks. They love masks. You got to wear a mask. Well, you know that don't go down to downtown L.A. And in your area, people don't wear masks. And and that's the way it is. And people get to gravitate to areas where they have more things that they like. But it always comes back to this idea and they drive it into people night and day on media and movies that we have to have an answer. 
We have to have an answer about abortion. We have to have an answer about masks. We have to have an answer about social distance. That doesn't work. You can't get an answer on your block about most things. So how are we going to get one for everybody? And so to me, all of these issues of whether we can get people to wear a mask or not, well, we're never going to get agreement about even the most basic thing. And the the fundamental problem I have with the discussion that the constitutional conservatives engage in is this implication that there's a system that we all have to agree to that will produce an answer that then you may not be happy about it, but then you get to adjust the answer. No, no. The fundamental problem is that there is a system that people imagine should exist to produce an answer. And there need to be there need to be at, at minimum thousands and thousands of answers in a country with 330 million people, not an answer. That's ridiculous. And so that's it's just that that to me is a very good example of the fundamental way the narrative in the country is skewed by the fact that the constitutional conservatives have caved in and agreed to this massive centralized government. That was never, ever the agreement of the founders, the holy founders. The people who founded this country would have never agreed that we need to have one answer to whether or not we need to wear masks and socially distance in all the colonies. That never would have been on the table. That's absurd. They would have laughed you out of there, but, but we're move now to the point where that is the discussion we have. And how do we get people on our side? How do we win the vote? How do we persuade? Well, they know it's impossible to persuade millions and millions and millions of people like that when they control the media. And so the answer has to be that we have to be in a system where that we're not in that situation, where we're stuck with the only answer being we have to we have to persuade millions and millions of people. Well, hell, I just give up and go home. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Never going to happen. Right. You just give up. Yeah. I mean, I've become very worried recently that the government, uh, they're being less subversive about their agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've noticed that too. Like Fauci coming out and saying, you know, even if you get vaccinated, you're still going to have to wear a mask. You're still going to have to social distance. And I'm like, whoa, uh, this is um, uh, ooh, this is really bad. Uh, why would anybody get vaccinated at that point? What do you think it has to say about uh, the nature of our situation that the government is no longer hiding their agenda? Does it mean it's more dire or do they just not care because they yeah, think they have power? It's such a good question. And it's, you know, it's, I really think the answer, you know, we can't know the answer. We can't know the answer. We can speculate about answers. And, you know, to me, I, I always use the kind of, well, what makes the most sense of what we're saying? And, you know, you go back to 911 and you look at the, the sort of crazy explanation they gave the people. It doesn't matter what actually happened. I don't have to get into whether it was a directed energy weapon or it doesn't make any difference. The important thing is that we can know that the official explanation is ludicrous. It doesn't make any sense. And so you don't have to go any further than that in order to know that, well, okay, well, they will give you an explanation that makes no sense. And they've they've kept it going now for 20 years. And so the people are being prepared for the fact that nothing makes any sense. We're told we have free and fair elections, but then you can see we don't have free and fair elections. We're we're told all sorts of things. We're told the government's limited. Then we see the government spending trillions of dollars whenever they want to simply hand them out to their friends. We're told the justice is equal. And then we see that the political class, they're not, nothing happens to them. There's just, and and in fact, there's a theory and and I, I ascribe to it only because it, it makes so much sense. And that is, 
this concept of revelation of the method. Now, whether or not this is an occult concept or whether or not it's just a psychological concept that sort of Yuri Bezmenov brought us with the demoralization of society and then crisis and normalization, it doesn't matter which one you're using. Revelation of the method, the theory behind it is that when you show people that the government explanations and that the official stories are totally not true. Not by saying they're not true, but by the evidence themselves, like with the fair election, which everybody, they're shown, you know, Tony, Fat Tony with the suitcase of ballots, just running them through the thing. And then they're told that there's no evidence of uh, voter fraud. It's like, well, hold it. Anybody can see that. And it causes a disconnect in their mind. And so the concept behind Revelation, the method, is that when people see that those in power are clearly and completely immune from anything and that truth is no defense to anything anymore, that the lie is what gets put in and the liars get promoted. There is a demoralization that occurs in the population that starts to erode their ability and their desire to push back because the people in charge are perceived to be untouchable and super powerful because if they can get away with things this big and nothing happens to them, well, what's the point? Everyone just kind of packs it in and goes home. And I think that the the concept is that it's been in hyperscale since 911 that they kind of unleashed it. There's always been lies, you know, there's, they've been lying about everything to people forever, but without the internet, See, without the internet, it was very difficult to find out. Yeah, you you saw the New York Times or Walter Cronkite or some other blowhard on there. And that was just, everyone just kind of got the normal story again and again and again. And so average people really weren't exposed to how fake the story was. It just really wasn't available. And since the internet, it has been available. And the, and the theory is that they've been in this sort of revelation of the method era ever since then. And it coincides with the Internet because people like yeah. you and me can find out, oh, hold it. This doesn't make any damn sense. And, you know, go do your research. And it's obvious to hold it. The story doesn't hold together. And yet nothing happens to them. Is it possible that people have become so demoralized that they're impervious to developing this disconnect? I said this on the channel with Dave the other day. I've said it so many times on my show. But um, my personal experience is not aligning with the media narrative on coronavirus. I don't know anybody that's gotten it. I don't know anybody that knows anybody that's died of it. I know some people that have gotten it, supposedly. Um, but, you know, nobody that I know is dying from it. The Spanish flu killed 1% of the world population. That means your mom and two of your friends dead. I mean, like actual death in front of you, actual destruction in front of you. I'm not seeing any of this shit. And mm -hmm. at some point, I, I expected people to be like, uh, my life experience is not at all aligning with what I'm being told by the media. And I had a lot of faith that that was going to bring people. It's going to center them and that they're going to be like, whoa, this is totally the media is a lie. Everything the, what the government's telling me is a lie. I am not seeing that happen at all. And so I also thought that what, what you said that that was was going to happen. But I'm starting mm -hmm. to believe that maybe we're just so demoralized or so stupid that people aren't even developing this disconnect. Yeah, well. Again, you know, it's 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 a good point. And and what you know, Yuri Bezmenov, if people have never watched his videos, they should watch him. I mean, he was a at least the narrative that we're given about him. God knows if that's true too. Could, yeah. could be anything. But, you know, he was a he was allegedly a KGB agent. It's just clear he was an agent who did defect and he was in charge of the KGB's uh, propaganda in India. And he came over to the United States and he made a fantastic series of videos 
um, that discusses exactly this point, ultimately. And he talks about how propaganda is about demoralizing the population and that there's a point. And in, in propaganda language, it is when they become, quote, demoralized. And when a population is demoralized, then facts no longer matter. And that even if the bombs are falling through their roof, they're, they're, nothing's going to change their mind. They, they can't be reached at that point. They are beyond reach. And it doesn't mean that everybody in the population is beyond reach. It means that you have critical mass in a population that is now so demoralized and brainwashed that giving them facts will make no difference. And in fact, they double down. They keep doubling and doubling down on the fact that, well, sure, that's not true. It's very similar to the Q thing where everything confirms. He says something's going to happen. It doesn't happen. Well, that's even more proof it's going to happen later because it didn't happen now. It's like, <laughs> yeah. well, you can't. I mean, it doesn't make any damn sense. I give the same thing with these uh, the supposed corona fears. Like, well, okay, um, people aren't dying. You can look around and just see that you're not even allowed to do an independent investigation in what's going on in the hospitals. And they say, well, people would, would be uh, telling people. Well, they are telling people. Then they suppress it. They take it off YouTube and it's video clips and the people tell all the time, but it doesn't make any difference. They double down on it. And so the fact that we aren't seeing deaths, that's more evidence that there are deaths <laughs> to these people in their crazy demoralized uh, mental state where they just can't let go. And I think psychologically, I suspect there's been a huge amount of dark research in this area where they take our tax money and they, they research it, crap out of it, and they know exactly where the people are. And now that they have social media, they can tell where are the people, what do we need to put out here, there. And I suspect that there is a sort of psychological factor going on with people who become this demoralized, who refuse to wake up and accept these things in that they kind of fear that they will psychologically snap that they'll just break, that they literally can't handle it. And, and when you dump on top of it what they've done now with fantastic financial stress, right? Everybody's under huge financial stress now. So you're making it even harder for people to wake up because their plate is full. That glass is full. They cannot take one more drop and it's overflowing. So the last thing they can think about is, well, hold it, the whole damn system screwed up. That's it. I'm, I'm done. You know, this guy goes out for a pack of cigarettes. He never comes home kind of thing. He's just he's gone. He gives up. And I think there's a huge amount of that operating now. You got yeah. tons of people who are desperate. They're very desperate. And you and I would probably think, well, if you're desperate, well, then that's your you're you're ripe for being explained and shown. I think it's probably the opposite, that when you're desperate, that you you retreat into the psychological shell. So many people just retreat into a psychological shell of, I can't hear that right now. I cannot hear that right now. I am full. I'm just done. And That's I think true. there's a lot That's of that going on. But there's also going to be a subset of people that end up like, um, like Ted Kaczynski or Timothy McVeigh that, uh, snap that just snap yeah um <laughs> and, and I think that maybe the left, do you think the left is a, is aware that they're creating, an entire group of people that are going to be extremely competent and extremely violent mm -hmm. um, and that have nothing to lose. And they probably actually want that. Yeah, but if, I, if I'm looking at what they're doing, look, they're not stupid. I've got a simple rule. If I can figure it out, they can figure it out because they got people who are sitting around trying to figure stuff out all the damn time and working 20 steps ahead. So, you know, it's is it a bad thing? Well, is it a bad thing to have a bunch of nuts snapping who are perfectly 
you know, like Ted Kaczynski, that guy was brilliant. And, and his manifesto is not kookery. <laughs> you read the thing and it's like that thing, he was right. He knew what was coming. And exactly. regardless of whether he was even, he even was who he was. I mean, they show that stupid picture and the universe, none of the about the story is consistent, but it doesn't matter. The narrative we need from it is that he was a brilliant man who could see he wasn't a kook and somebody snapped along that lines, whether it was him or not, we don't know. But there are going to be people who are going to make that choice because the more you take away from people, the less they have to lose. Well, the less they have to lose. And so you take away something and no one has an option. That's the same reason you get a lot of crime in poor neighborhoods because they don't have anything to lose. They don't see a future. And and when you get enough people start thinking that they are going to start snapping. And does that serve the purpose of the government? Yes, it does, because it causes there to be a need for yet even a bigger police state to keep track of these people. And to have more people turning on them like Stasi informers everywhere and to see something, say something crowd. And so I think that to the extent they don't get people legit snapping, they will start, you know, false flag snapping people to make sure that, good God, this is where we are. You know, we have to crack down. Oh, this is crazy. We can't have this law and order. Uh, That's what you'll get. And so, yeah. The Capitol thing just seems like it was a it was a precursor. It was a total trap. I, I saw videos of them just letting people in, and I'm supposed to believe this is some massive violent insurrection. And I'm and I'm seeing, you know, I, I really had a lot of faith in Tucker Carlson until recently, and now I feel like some kind of moron because I'm I'm watching him a few weeks or like a week ago, and he's like. You know, I, political violence is never the answer. I was like, never the answer? Never really? the answer. Like, yeah. I, I don't trust you anymore. And I, and I used to think that he was something different. But now I think that he was just a pressure release valve. And he's just a deep state piece of shit operative yeah. like all these other people. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. Even I, even I in this late stage uh, was still falling for some element of media propaganda. Um, But what no. do you think the country is going to look like in a year from now? I mean, how much time... Do you think we have before we are getting marched to gulags? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I've been telling my friends that I, I want to see what kind of legislation they really start producing. Are they going to provide an illusion that the anointment of Joe Biden, Dementia Joe coming in there actually saves us and they're going to let off a little on the pressure? Or are they going to keep their pedal to the metal and keep jamming it down? And, you know, because they can take it in a lot of different directions. I don't know. I I tend to think that there's going to be a lot more resistance, <clears throat> excuse me, from the red state people now that Biden's in there. So they're going to have to take a slightly different tack. Like uh, the red states are not going to fall in line because no longer they don't have Trump up there now to say, well, these are his policies. And they're coming down. No, 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 these are Biden policies. As a political matter, it's going to be difficult for him to fall in line. And so it's very difficult, in my opinion, at this point to decide which direction we're really going to take. In five years, it's easy to know. <laughs> five years, we're going to be screwed way, way, way worse. We're going to have medical IDs. We're going to have these uh, cash kind of requirements. And tons and tons of businesses are going to require all sorts of additional things. Travel is going to be massively restricted. All that's easily possible in a five-year time frame. In a one-year time frame, well, we, that's much harder because – They think in very long terms and anybody can look around and see that they're not about to do anything that's going to disturb the ability to get to that five-year mark. They're not going to sacrifice in the one-year mark in order to know the five-year marks there. So whatever it takes, that's what they're going to do. And there's a thousand different ways to get there. And that is problematic. And, you know, you talk about someone like Tucker Carlson, who I, 
I happen to like him. I don't watch his show much, but I do like him. He's he's smart. He's a very clever guy, and he and he brings up a lot of interesting points. But he wasn't there when this thing broke out. He was he was falling in line, and I'm always fascinated by these kinds of people, which I discussed earlier. I think I think we were on the air when I talked about the fact that I never know whether or not these people are legit or not legit. It's it's very difficult to know because uh, very smart people. They may be doing the same kind of analysis that you and I do, which is that, well, look, you know, whatever I do, if I say something like that on the air, they're just going to pull me off the air anyway. Okay, so how much how much effect am I really going to do? I mean, I just immediately go away. Maybe in their mind, they've done a rationalization that they're in a position to do some good. They, they can kind of push people in some direction. But if they really start telling people the truth, they'll just get taken off the air. And I don't know how many people are genuinely confused and think they're actually telling the full truth and how many people are holding back and how many people are actually controlled agents who are yeah. intentionally giving us wrong information. It's yeah. very hard to know. He was personal friends with um, Hunter Biden, though. And, and I was thinking about that. I'm like, in what weird social situation <laughs> uh, are you friends with Hunter Biden? I, and that just made me like, hmm. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't There's know. people so, up there in Washington. I really think that, uh, I, I mean, for me, anybody who's getting major traction, who's got millions and millions and millions of types of people, that kind of thing, is in the, they're controlled. Whether or not, like I said, they meet one of the other positions, whether or not they know they're controlled or they're, they're useful idiots, doesn't make any difference. They're controlled. And, and I explain things like that, that Biden thing to the extent that, Hunt, that uh, Tucker Carlson is a decent guy, which he comes across to me as. He comes across as that. Maybe he's just a great actor. I don't know. But he comes across <laughs> as like a decent guy and who's, who's kind of open. To, to truth. And I think those people in Washington, which he is, he's a creature of Washington. I think they're so used to the fact that the Washington situation is a game, that they are able to have relationships with people who are on the other side of the aisle because they see it so much as just this intellectual game and that, okay, that guy's on that side you know it's like being friends with somebody you play in professional sports and the other team is supposedly your adversary and off the field you're fine and that you know on the field you argue and off the field you're fine and i think that a huge number of people in, in actual that dc area and that kind of new york la media group i think they really think like that that these people totally disagree with them but the whole thing's a game and you know i that, i could never do that you know i i could not do that because it's not a game to me because people's lives. It's my money. It's people going to prison. Okay. Lots and lots of people in prisons and having their lives destroyed. This is not a game. This is, this is a reality that affects people. That's in their mind. They think of it as a game. And I really think, like I said, unless you can actually get the guy on a lie detector and do some CIA eye dilation and some other crazy stuff with the guy, how do you get a straight answer to know whether or not he's telling the truth or not that he believes this or he doesn't. <laughs> we don't know. That's definitely true. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to know who to trust. And I do appreciate some of the work that he's done, but... Right, exactly. Just, and, and the way you're describing, I mean, aren't I controlled? I say a fraction of the things that I want to on my channel because I'm like, well, I can't do any good if I can. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> I mean, I, I hold back myself because, because the reality is that we see... and. We see that there are two kinds of types of people. There's people we need to try to persuade, and there's people that we want to 
connect with who already kind of feel like us. And because that's those people also listen to our material and they like it and, and it, it makes them feel better to be connected and not think that they're crazy, that they're the only one. People forget there's a lot of people out there. They don't have anybody who yeah. actually can see. They're stuck in a household well, and friends and stuff and nobody sees They're the only people. And so, you know, outlets like your show or, or mine, the Quash kind of thing, that helps people. But we also do want to reach other people. And so do we... We're going to blow ourselves up. We're going to step in front of a straight freight train and step on third rails. No, it doesn't serve our purpose to do that. It it really doesn't. And so I try to I touch on it slightly, but I stay away from certain topics because unless we can get people to understand some real basics, it doesn't really matter to go on. Why, why am I going to teach you some advanced uh, trig that's going to that takes a college education if you can't even add and subtract? Let, let's exactly. get you some basics first, and then a lot of people can figure some of the stuff out because they're not going to hear it anyway. If you go off too much into another area that takes too many steps to get to, it doesn't work anyway. It just falls on deaf ears. Mm -hmm. That's definitely true. Um, well, we're coming up on an hour. If you want to tell people where they can find you and where to listen to the quash, um, sure. that'd be great. Okay. Well, the, it's available pretty much in any of the podcast players. It's just called the quash. You can just go in there and put it in there. And I've got a bunch of episodes and I link it up on my Twitter account a lot. So if you went to my Twitter account, you'd see it. Um, my Twitter account's Legal Man at U.S. Law Review. It's a, it's a good place. I'm pretty active on Twitter, at least at, at this point. They haven't kicked me off. I, I kind of know the way their rules work. And an account like mine is probably not going to get booted off. Uh, they, it's just not that's not the kind of account they boot off. It really is. And even though I, I seem like I say a lot of stuff, if you look at my actual tweets, uh, there's not a lot there. I mean, you can <laughs> I'm walk a lawyer. Away. I lawyer it up. <laughs> and I, I, I'm very, very careful the way I say things. Uh, but yeah, the quash is, it's, it's been out for a while now and, and hopefully people will find it. And if they listen to it, they might like it. I keep the episode short. Uh, it's a slightly different format. Um, I keep them around 20 minutes and, I, I made a conscious choice to this, to do that. It's not because I don't I really enjoy long format things. I do. It's just that they're a different kind of format and I might do some of them, but 20 minutes, I mean, you go walk the dog, you're in your car for 20 minutes to go, you know, travel someplace. People can take 20 minutes, uh, 20 ish minutes is a pretty short amount of time. And so I just kind of keep it packed in there and I hope people go over and listen to it. There's, there's just, there aren't people, who have sort of situated like I am with a very long experience in the legal systems where I can speak to professional situations and give you an actual answer to the way the thing works and show you the way it's operating out kind of in the real world. I think it's kind of a unique perspective and uh, I hope people like it. I, a lot of people do like my show. There's no doubt about that. Oh, it's fantastic. You were the first person that I thought of when I was like, I want to get back to doing content. I got to contact legal man. <laughs> um, and I do highly recommend becoming a patron because you get so much more of his content on Patreon. So I'll have that linked below. I'll have his Twitter and everything linked below. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it. I'm a huge fan and I hope that you can brave this, this new world. I think you'll be okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I really appreciate it too. I had a great time. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye guys. Bye-bye.